And so today we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 3, and I was wondering if you could turn there together as we study today um, something that, I don't know, I've called confidence in Christ. I think most of us here would probably acknowledge the fact that, you know, there has to be a certain aspect of confidence in our life, right? But the, the thing that you've got to be careful of is that there's not like confidence in yourself or too much confidence in yourself or any confidence in the flesh. And so, you know, you might be here and you might be thinking, well, that's definitely a church message. It's not anything you would hear in, you know, the world today or in those, you know, who are educated. Those who are educated would say you need to have confidence in yourself. Uh, but it was interesting. I read an article uh, that was actually put out by the Harvard Business Review, and it was something that they actually did within Harvard University. And they said that um, less confident people are more successful. And I, and I thought that was interesting, coming from a secular perspective. And the the reason, though, that they said that is because if you have too much confidence in yourself, then you will not be humble. That's one thing, right? And so in order for us to be like people, people, we need to be humble people. Have you guys ever met someone who's not like a people person and they're very arrogant and they're you know, all caught up in themselves and prideful? Well, you're, you're really not going to go too far, probably, unless you've been given a silver spoon, you're probably not going to go too far if you're all proudful and not humble. And so that's probably one reason Another reason is that you won't be open to correction and you won't be open to criticism. And we need that. We need counsel. We need correction. There's none of us here that has everything all together. And if you got too much confidence in yourself, then you're not going to be open to a perspective that might be different from yours. And so for us, even in the world, it's interesting how they will caution against uh, too much self confidence and then in the church it gets even more strong because if you're confident in yourself you won't look to god to be your strength and you know philippians 4 13 says i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and so you know it's a really cool study paul's going to talk about this confidence in christ and not in our flesh and what ends up happening is not only does it lead us to salvation but I also believe that it leads us to peace along the path because we'll never reach a point in our life where, you know, it's through my performance that I've earned God's love today because I had such a great day and I dotted every I and crossed every T. Um, no, that's putting confidence in yourself. No, my confidence is in a God who said he would never leave me nor forsake me, a God who said he loves me, not because of who I am per se. Yeah, I'm, I'm created in his image and praise God for that. There is an aspect of you know, self-worth in that. But he said and he would love me because he is love. And that's huge. And we have to make sure that we understand that relationship we have and not fall prey to religion or self-righteousness. And so look what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 3. He says in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you 
is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, Paul says, I was blameless. But, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And so really when you look at Philippians 3, it's kind of interesting the way it's broken down. You got first the justification and then the sanctification next week, Lord willing, that I may know him and growing and stuff, and then the glorification. So today we kind of cover just the justification and that would be the legal declaration of righteousness in God's sight. That is, you know, when you die and stand before God or when we're raptured, that God would see no sin in your life, your forgiven, blood-bought believer, and not just that he would see no sin, but in you, he sees the imputed righteousness of Christ, that he'll see the, the beauty of Jesus in you. And so you've got to be prepared uh, for that day. Now, I don't know if you guys got prepared for this, uh, what's it called? Um, Hillary? What are they calling this? Uh, um, hurricane. Yeah, Hurricane Hillary, you know. How many of you guys did some preparation for that, just in case? I'm just curious. Well, so a few of you guys, the rest of you guys just trusting God. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, my wife, she's prepared. She got a, a lantern and Oreo cookies, man. She's ready. <laughs> You know, and so anyways, you got people, it's funny how it works, you know, whatever, buying uh, toilet paper and water, and they got these generators and stuff. And so more than likely, like, we're really sure, like, you know, like, we're going to be, it's not going to be a big deal. But in the back of your mind, you're wondering, well, maybe it's going to be something, you know, crazy, you know, windy, rainy, I don't know. But, um, you know, we do prepare for the future. And so you got to prepare for the day that you stand before God. And so as we look at this section right here, Paul the pastor, Paul the apostle, that's just his heart. I, I want to make sure you guys as Christians, we're going to see he tells you to be joyful, and then he tells you uh, to, be, um, to be careful or beware, and then he's going to tell you to basically behold. You're going to see the work that God has done, and he doesn't want you who are saved to go sideways. You know, he wants you to stay on track because of the fact that he loves you and he wants you to go to heaven. And of course, this is inspired by God. But look at verse 1 again. He says, finally, my, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You know, some versions will, will say, uh, uh, furthermore, uh, or whatever happens, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
And I, and I will say this, that Paul, even though he was in prison, he had like a ton of joy. You know, this guy smile on his heart in spite of his circumstances. And he wanted the people to be filled with joy. He didn't want them to be looking out and they're all bummed out, you know, because of whatever it is that's, that's going on. No, um, uh, in the book, uh, four chapters, 11 times, he says rejoice. Four times, he uses the word joy. And you guys know how it is. Like Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, and so you may be wondering, well, Manny, I don't know really what I have to be joyful for. And Paul says it right there, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, you're a Christian. Isn't that, that amazing that you have found that narrow road that leads to life? You know, it's so cool. We're going to see that specifically is what he's going to be emphasizing. And so, again, the whole letter, it talks about joy in no matter what the circumstances may be. I, I like what Warren Worsby said. If you cannot rejoice in your circumstances, you can always rejoice in the Lord who controls your circumstances, fix your attention on him. He may not change your situation, but he will change you. And that is even better. How many of you here, you want to be more like Jesus? I mean, isn't that what we want? Well, sometimes those heavy trials are what God is going to use to sanctify our life. And so what he's saying right here is re rejoice in the Lord, man. Rejoice in him. Rejoice in the fact that you're saved. Let's not lose the joy of the fact that we are free, the, the fact that we are forgiven, the, the fact that our names are written in the book of life. You know, I don't know if it's different now than when you first got saved. Everybody, I think, has a different and unique journey. But I know that when I got saved, man, I was on cloud nine. I was just surrounded with the perpetual presence of God. And, you know, as you continue on, if you're not careful, you know, through the trials of life and maybe you thought God let you down there or just different things that happen, it, it might be tempting to lose the joy, the joy of your salvation. And that's why I like what David said in Psalm 51, 12. It was actually a prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And so I pray that you have that in your heart, guys. Number one, Paul says, be, be joyful. You know, and, and then we're going to see Paul is going to eventually say, be careful or, or beware. But in verse one, it's an interesting verse. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you. It's not tedious, but for you, it is safe. It is spiritually safe. You know, Paul basically says, I never get tired of telling you these things. You know, I, I know you probably heard it before. And a lot of times, you guys got to be careful of this. You know, sometimes people will go church to church, or they'll go to YouTube, or they'll go to this and that and the other because they want to hear something different or something new. But that shouldn't be our desire. Oh, I just want to hear something new because I've already heard this before. No, our desire should always be, I want to hear something true. Something true. And, and is he teaching me the Bible? And so be really careful. Paul here says, I'm not tired of kind of like telling you the same things over and over again. You know, I tell you guys that, that, that phrase, 
you know, it's repeated so we won't be defeated. I know that here's uh, Paul. Peter was the same way. In Second Peter chapter 1, in verse 12, he said, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I'm in this tent, he basically says, as long as I am alive, I want to stir you up by reminding you of these things. Not new revelations, per se, but they're, in one sense, just reminders. And so maybe, you know, you've heard it, but maybe there's someone else here today who's never heard it, and God will use it to save them. Or you've heard it once, and then you hear it again, and then you hear it again, and then it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Or maybe you've heard it, but you've never really understand it. And all of a sudden, one day, God opens your eyes. Or maybe you heard it and you forgot it. And that's why Peter, Paul, these guys are just saying, hey, I'm not going to be negligent to be uh, repetitive. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but they say that women, generally speaking, speak twice as as much uh, as men, uh, twice as many words as men. Um, Have you guys heard that before? Some of you guys are like, I don't like you saying that, Manny. I'm just trying to tell you that's what they say. That, But the reason is, is because wives have to speak twice as much because their husbands aren't listening. That's why. <laughs> and so God says, I got to say it over and over and over again. I love you. 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 I mean, is that settled yet? Yeah, but I had a bad day today, Lord. I love you. Yeah, but Lord, I blew it. I love you. Yeah, but I didn't read my Bible. I love you. And then that love eventually sinks in. And then you start loving him back. Then you start changing. And so here Paul says, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to be reminding you about these things. He says, number one, be joyful. But then number two, beware. Look at verse two. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Now here we have beware of dogs. Uh, That's their character. Beware of evil workers. That's their conduct. Beware of the mutilation. That's their creed. And and we're going to see how you guys need to be careful. Like I said, you're on the way to heaven. You're on your way to heaven. But there's going to be someone maybe one day knocking at your door trying to woo you into their religion. Or there might be some co-worker who has a different you know, gospel, and it's not the pure gospel. And Paul here is saying, beware of them. Beware of dogs. And you guys didn't know they had pit bull terriers back then, huh? Rottweilers, Dobermans. Is that what he's talking about? No. The dogs that Paul's referring to were the legalistic Judaizers of the day, and they would come into churches teaching and preaching and trying to persuade people that, you know, in order to be saved, you also have to be circumcised. In order to become a Christian, you need to to first become a Jew. And so they were going in and they were perverting the gospel. And so, you know, I know you guys have heard it before, but, you know, I'll say it again, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that salvation is a gift. What Jesus did on the cross when he died for us and he shed his blood to wash away our sins and rose again. When you place your faith in him, in Christ, then you're saved, right? His work, not our works, not our religion, 
Not our sacraments, not us riding our bike and going, not us knocking on doors, not us standing there, you know, with whatever literature, because they believe, they believe that that's how they're saved. You know, some people believe that the way to heaven is by being good, like being a moral person. And you can talk to a lot of people, especially some that that are, are a little bit more educated, and you go up to them and, hey, you know, I was just curious, you know, here's a diagnostic question, you know, and I, I dare you. I don't dare you. Go, go some, talk to somebody this week and just say, hey, I love you. Can I ask you a question? Like, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Ask someone that. They'd probably, you know, get upset, but it's okay. The Lord will open doors as he leads you, but a lot of them will say, yeah, I, I do believe I go to heaven. And then you ask them, well, why? Why do you believe you go to heaven? And, you know, nine times out of ten, seven to eight, they'll say, because I'm a good person. You know, I never murdered anyone. I went to church. I gave $50 a week. I mean, you name it, there's different. And what if they give a works-oriented answer, then they've perverted the gospel. And Paul here says, beware of dogs. Now, it was a derogatory term, not like dogs today. Today, we love dogs, right? They're domesticated. I know two dogs that are saved, and so it's pretty cool. And so, um, but in those days, dogs were not domesticated. They'd be wandering around the neighborhood. They'd be eaten out of the trash and the scraps from the table. And Paul says, beware of these guys. He fought these Judaizers for like 30 years. If you want to get like a whole backdrop to it, you can read Acts chapter 15 or even like the whole book of Galatians. And he talks about how they perverted the gospel. But Paul says, uh, beware of these guys. Beware of these ones that are teaching uh, the heresy when it comes to adding to the faith. Uh, None of that is true. Salvation is free. It's an unearned gift that we receive the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, I encourage you guys to know this. Paul here says, beware of these dogs. Beware of these evil workers. Beware of the, the mutilation. And the mutilation is the cutting of the flesh. And so like I said earlier, they were teaching that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And As a matter of fact, Paul here says, basically he says in chapter 3, verse 3, the NLT says, we who worship uh, by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. And so they were saying, be circumcised. And Paul says, no. Uh, As a matter of fact, you're saying that we need to be circumcised to be saved like you, And we're saying you're not saved. We're the ones who are saved because we placed our faith in Christ. And then what happens is we get the spiritual circumcision. You see, circumcision represents the cutting away of the flesh. And so in the spiritual realm, this is what happens to us positionally when we're saved. The cutting away of the flesh. Colossians 2.11, it says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And so for us, uh, you guys are going to encounter it through your journey. Unfortunately, tragically, there are always those who think they can earn their way to heaven. 
And Paul says it, it, that there's no way that can happen. It doesn't matter how good, moral, or religious they are. And so, you know, he goes and then he uses himself as an example. You know, I, I, I you know, care for you guys. I want you to make sure that you abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. If some of you young people, or maybe you know some on college campuses, there's a, a cult uh, known as like the LA Church of Christ or the Boston Church of Christ. Whenever you see a city in front of the Church of Christ, know this, that it's a cult, that we're talking about like these dogs, if I could say that. And what they'll tell you is that, hey, you're not safe because you haven't been baptized by us. And so they literally go, just like Paul is saying right here, and they're adding to the gospel. They're perverting the gospel and so be careful, you guys. Um, I pray that you would always know until the day you see the Lord face to face, the gospel, which is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Paul here, he says, number one, be joyful. Be joyful because you're saved. Praise God. And then secondly, he says, beware. Beware of those people who want to add to the gospel. It's not a gospel at all. And then thirdly, in one sense, what he says is behold. Check it out. And what he does is he uses himself as a sample, as an example. And I don't think it was Paul using himself. I think it was the Lord showing us Paul. And that's why, you guys, when you read the New Testament, you have 27 books in the New Testament. 13 were written by Paul. That's a lot. 13 out of 27. When you read the book of Acts, you have 28 chapters. Uh, So much of the book of Acts is about Paul. You know, chapter 9 is of when he got saved. And then chapter 13, all the way through 28, is how God used this guy, Paul, to plant churches all around the world. And so you're wondering, well, why is there so much about this guy? And it's because God kind of lifts him up and he wants us to learn from his life. He's like an example or a typology of a Christian. And so that's why what we're going to get into next is kind of like Paul saying, look at my life. So be joyful, beware, and behold. Check this out. Look at what Paul says again in verse 4. Though though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I, I more so. He circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning Allah, the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he says, He says, blameless. And what Paul does here is he gives a list of seven things that, you know, these legalistic Judaizers thought that they were like all Jewish, you know, we're all Jewish and, you know, we're we're like the standard and we're religious and, you know, and Paul's saying, man, you guys ain't, let me show you what was going on in my life. And he begins with the fact that he was circumcised on the eighth day And that would be in obedience to Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. And that would set them apart from any Ishmaelites or any other proselytes because they were circumcised later in life. So Paul says right off the bat, I want you guys to know, you're talking about circumcision. I was circumcised. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Number two, I'm of the stock of Israel. I mean, the Jewish blood that flows through me, and I will say this as a Christian, there is something beautiful, something wonderful, something special about the Jews. 
There is. I mean, you're going to see it when you see a Jew get saved, a Jew born anew. There's definitely something beautiful about this. So I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the stock. This talking about his pedigree of Israel. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, number three. And that was a special tribe because that's where their first king came from. And not only that, Benjamin was the only tribe that stuck side by side with Judah there in Jerusalem. And so the tribe was highly esteemed. And he's just trying to tell these guys, man, uh, when it comes to being Jewish, we're talking circumcised the eighth day, stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. And then number four, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what this is in reference to is that Paul was like to the core, you know, uh, Jewish. I mean, he retained the Jewish language. And so in those days, the, the popular language was Koine Greek. And so some spoke that, some spoke Latin. And, you know, a lot of the Jews, they lost their, their, their language. But if you were a Hebrew, then you retained the language, you retained the culture to the core. It's kind of like most of us here, like I'm Mexican-American or whatever it might be. You know, you're, you're, it's Paul saying, I was like Mexican of Mexican. I'm talking about knowing the language, knowing the pure language and the culture. I'm not Americanized, so type, of, type of thing. This is what he's saying. And being a Hebrew of the Hebrews meant his parents were too. And so when, you know, talking about the Jewish pedigree, the Jewish credentials, Paul is saying, you know, I have this. I mean, when you look at this guy's life, basically at the age of five, he began to read the scriptures and, and memorize them. At the age of six, he'd be sent to school. They're the neighborhood rabbi. At the age of 10, he'd be instructed in the oral law. And that was what they esteemed as far as the comments on the scriptures. And he would be um, memorizing all these things. At the age of 13, he would, by confirmation, become a, a son of, of the law. They have the bar mitzvah at, at that age. And then between the age of 13 and 16, they would send him to Jerusalem where he would sit under the instruction of the rabbi. And Paul didn't sit just under any rabbi. He sat under the great uh, Gamaliel. And you read about that in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, that I indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law. And so this guy right here, Gamaliel, he was like basically the best. He was known in those days as the beauty of the law. And, and all Paul is saying is, listen, I got the pedigree. I have the degree. I have like all those credentials. But, but I was bankrupt. I was empty inside. Religion can never fill the void that a relationship with God is intended to fill. Morality. You, you might even be here today and you're like, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sensing it or feeling it. And, and maybe, maybe it's because it's just a religion to you and God wants to bring you into this passionate relationship with him. Will you walk with him? Will you talk with him? Will you understand by faith what has been done for you on the cross? 
Paul was then later promoted to become a, a Pharisee, and they were the the word Pharisee literally means separated ones. Um, you know, in those days they had all these laws, and you would see the Pharisees with their phylacteries on their forehead or their hands. They'd be praying in the corner of the streets in the middle of the day. Um, they were um, ones that were you know did all the rules, all the regulations, like I said earlier. Dot, Every eye crossed every T, they strained at a gnat. Like if a gnat was going in, they would want to vomit because this is how they were meticulous, meticulous. And there are some people who are meticulous, but they don't have that relationship with God. Paul was so uh, zealous for these people. And yeah, he persecuted the church and you know, today you might compare uh, the zeal, and I'm not saying it's right by any means, but I'm just saying you get like an Islamic terrorist, you know, strapping bombs to his body, going into a cafe and thinking that if he, you know, ignites those bombs and, and dies and kills all these people, that he's promoted to, you know, the highest point of heaven. That's what these think. That's what they believe. And all I'm saying is that, you know, you, you, of course, we would never do that because we know it's wrong. But, but would you be willing to die for Christ if he called you to? That's the zeal that he had to, to go to that point. And, and he's just saying, that was me. I was, number seven, blameless according to the law. And so, you know, I don't know who you can compare him to. You know, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, you know, I'm not saying they're not saved, but is it because Billy Graham was an evangelist used by God to bring people to the Lord? Is it because Mother Teresa was, you know, benevolent in such a service her entire life? Is that what got them to heaven? No. It was their faith in Christ. If anyone teaches otherwise, if anyone says, well, works are what gets you into heaven, then Paul says in Galatians 1, you've perverted the gospel. And you guys know what the word pervert means, right? What it, it, what it is, is you've taken something so good, so beautiful, and you've corrupted it. And that's what happened in those days. Paul says, look at my life. I had all those things. But then in verse 7, he says, but, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul says, um, I, I, I used to consider those things as assets, but now I regard them as liabilities. The, the things that I once thought were valuable and necessary, I've come to realize that they're worthless for righteousness' sake. And he uses the word counted here. Look again at verse 8. I also count all these things loss. And then later on, he says, I, I count them as rubbish. And he uses this word um, three times in this section. And, and, you know, you're wondering, what does he mean count? What do you mean count? And the Greek word, it means uh, to 
uh, think through or, or to really think this through, to ponder, to reflect on this. You know, and I, and I don't know if you guys have really done that in your life, but have you really thought this one through? I mean, is it true that your faith in Christ, not other stuff that you add to it, the sacraments, the ceremonies, baptism, church attendance, tithing, or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, is it just your faith in Christ that saves you? Have you thought that one through? Paul says, I have. And, and, I, and I count all those other things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, we have to see that the religion will never save us. The interesting thing is, you know, the Bible says that my righteousness is rubbish. I, Isaiah calls it filthy rags. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Paul here says, look, at, if you would, at verse 9, that, that I want to be found in him. There it is. I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God by faith. See, there's no doubt that you guys are amazing people, that you know you have so many good people in one sense, benevolent, moral. You know, you see them out there, and you know, your part of you is almost hesitant to tell them that they need Jesus because they're so good, but they do. Paul here says, my righteousness, and what that is, is the best that I can do. Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 6, my righteousness is as filthy rags. And, and you know, not to offend anyone, but in the, in the Hebrew language, that was in reference to a woman's menstrual garment, like the best that we can do. If you can visualize like a whiteboard here, and let's just say there's a couple of marks that represent our sins, and then you get a rag and it's all bloody and muddy, and you try to, to wipe that clean. See, that's us trying to earn our way to heaven. That's us trying to say that my righteousness will get me in. And, and Paul says, no, it's not going to work that way. As a matter of fact, he even uses the word rubbish here. He says uh, in verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things loss uh, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. That's talking about all the religion, all that morality that you thought could get you into heaven. I've kind of set that aside and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The word rubbish is an interesting word. It actually comes from two Greek words which are the words dog and the word throw. And so it literally meant you throw this away to the dogs. And like I said earlier, that's the way they saw dogs. And you know you, you know how you can give your dogs maybe the scraps off the table, although some of you guys probably give them the best of the food, I'm just saying, you know. And, uh, and he's saying, that's what my righteousness is. Like I, I try hard, I do. But let me tell you something, man. I am tainted. I am weak. I know who I am. I'm wretched. And I I just can't have the concept that if I'm good enough, 
God will love me. Like if I'm good enough, I'll be accepted. Because I live in a broken, battered body, and I'll never be good enough. I never will. But one thing I know, I believe in him. I believe in that cross. I believe in his blood. And because of that, I'm accepted. I'm loved. I grew up in a religion. I did. I did all the stuff they told me to do. But I didn't know God. It wasn't until that day that I placed my faith in him that he wrote my name in the book of life. And that's all Paul is saying. Listen, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm holding on to it. I'm going to let it go. And now I'm going to just cling to Christ. Paul here says here, I've considered as lost not only the things that are already listed, the one through seven, but just everything he says there in verse eight. And, and if we want this knowledge of Christ and this beautiful knowledge that he talks about right here in verse eight, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, then we have to let go of that works-oriented relationship, the performance-oriented religion. And this knowledge is such a beautiful knowledge because what it is is in reference to knowing God in a personal and intimate way. The Greek word is gnosis. Uh, You guys probably know the, the Spanish word, conozco. It comes from the same word, to know God by and in this personal relationship that I have with him. And I wake up in the morning and I get my cup of coffee and I open up my Bible and I try my best to open up my heart and I ask God of the universe, speak to me. And then I go and I get another cup of coffee. Don't tell my wife I told you, but <laughs> and then I go into my garage and I get on my knees. And this is something just between me and the Lord. And maybe for you it's going to be different. But the Lord showed me this. He said, Manny, son, As long as you can get on your knees, get on your knees. Because there may be a day, and some of you may already be there, where you can't. You're like, I can't. Because if I get on my knees, I won't be able to get up again, you know. But the Lord told me that, man, as long as you can, you do this. And I, and, I, and I can't tell you, I can't articulate, I can't, you know, adequately or, you know, accurately describe what takes place right there. But I, I know, I know, I meet with God. I meet with God and then I go throughout my day and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating that the Lord God of the universe, he speaks with me throughout the day. Don't do that. Do that. Pay attention to your wife. Just different things that happen. And then he speaks uh, through other people to me, but it's God. It's God. It's not a religion. You know, one of the things that I think that people like about religion is you go in there, you maybe you, and then again, I'm not saying that stained glass windows are bad or cathedral ceilings or holy water is bad. I'm not saying that, you know, the incense, all that. I'm not saying that in and of itself it's not bad, but sometimes it appeals to the flesh and you go in and you feel like, well, I kind of got it, got it done and I did my duty and there's an aspect of where religion gives you a list and, it, and you know, you just check off the list and then you're good to go and then, you kind of do whatever you want for the rest of your life. And when you have a relationship with God, there's not a moment where you're disconnected from Him. Never. 
Not because I'm all that good, because I'm not, but because he is. And he's just saying, you know, to not just preachers and pastors, but to Christians, go out and tell the world. Go out and tell the world that they can have a relationship with God by faith. It's hard for the world to understand and accept something that's free. But that's what we have. And Paul here is just saying, I want you to have the same thing. He says right there again, and we'll close in in verse 8. He says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And and so, you know, nothing new probably for most of you guys, but it's true and it's beautiful. We need to be reminded of this. I, I always go back to that, that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Here it is. Be reconciled to God. Okay, so here it is. If you're here and you're in solid relationship with God, praise God. You're in a good place, right? Stay there. But if you're here and you're not, maybe you drifted. You know, maybe different things have happened where you feel like you're far away. Paul here says, God is pleading and I'm begging you. Make a choice today to come back to God. That's all he's saying. Be reconciled with God. And the next verse is so cool. It says, For he made him who knew no sin. Who's that? Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, um, Jesus bore our sins on the cross. Why? So that we can then have his righteousness. And so when you become a Christian, not only does God wash away all your sins, which is very, very cool, he then floods you with the righteousness of his son. It would be like, you know, emptying yourself of all the bad stuff and then filling yourself with everything that is good. Like I've told you guys many times, it's as if God treated Jesus as if he lived your life And now he wants to treat you as if you live Christ's life. That's the exchange life. That's the righteousness that he provides. And so Paul here is kind of cool, you know. He's a a really cool pastor. But in the end, um, he's just a beggar. I beg of you, you know, make that decision to follow Christ.